Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. We've finished replacing the floors in my house, and I'm writing this while sitting at my new desk, pedaling away on my desk cycle. I still have a bit of rearranging and sorting to take care of, but it is much nicer than it was before. And I hope all of you are well, too. These are definitely interesting times in which we are living. Today, we will finish the Iliad. When we last left our heroes, the Greeks were having a funeral for Patroclus, and the Trojans were, well, in Troy. They don't really appear at all in Book 23. Uh, Book 24, as with most of the previous books, picks up right where we left off. The funeral games end, and the Greeks go to eat dinner and go to bed. Except for one. Achilles can't sleep, or at least he refuses to. Instead, he keeps driving his chariot around Patroclus' burial mound. And in case you've forgotten what happens in Book 22, Hector is still tied to the back of the chariot. So for 12 nights, Achilles ties Hector to the chariot and drives three times around the burial mound before untying the body and tossing it into the dirt for the dogs. Um, like just like this repeat cycle he keeps doing this and for 12 nights the gods continue to protect Hector's body from decomposing the gods beg Hermes to go and rescue Hector's body or most of them do Hera doesn't nor do Poseidon and Athena in a rare moment of those two gods getting along they all hate Troy too much Hera and Athena, because of the whole judgment of Paris that started the whole thing, which, sure, yeah, it's a reason to be mad, but that's not Hector's fault. But still, Achilles is allowed by the gods to continue this behavior for 12 nights. As dawn rises on the 12th morning after the death of Hector, Apollo finally speaks up. He points out that Hector has never been anything but respectful, making the best sacrifices to the gods. It's not like they'll be bringing him to life. It's just giving him the decency of a proper burial. Let, let his family give him a funeral. If anything, the gods should be mad at Achilles for his treatment of the body. Hero lashes out that this is a false comparison because Achilles is the son of a goddess. Both of Hector's parents, they're just mortals. There is no possible way that Hector is the better man. Zeus steps in. Yes, Achilles is the better man, but this does not diminish the man that Hector was in life. And it is time for Hector to be returned to his family. But it's not right for the gods to just steal the body away. It must happen of Achilles' own free will. Zeus sends Iris to bring Thetis to him. He instructs Thetis to convince Achilles to return the body of Hector to Priam. And then he sends Iris to Priam with instructions that he... Um, on what he needs to do to ransom the body of his son, assuring the old man that Achilles will accept the ransom and return Hector's body. The goddesses do as they're asked. Thetis goes to Achilles, and she tells him it's all right to grieve, but he still needs to eat and sleep and maybe share his bed with a woman. It's time to let Hector go. When Priam comes, take the ransom and return the body. Achilles grumbles, but he agrees. Iris tells Priam that he is to take the ransom alone, save for one old herald who knows how to drive the wagon that will carry the ransom to Achilles and Hector's body back to Troy. 
Hackaby isn't convinced. It sounds like a bad idea. Plus, she doesn't think Achilles deserves to be given a ransom. If she had her way, she'd eat his liver in revenge for what Achilles did to her son. But Priam is insistent. He will go. He'll hold his son again, or he'll die trying. He yells at the rest of the Trojans to let him be. They can help gather the ransom or get out of his way. They opt to help. Hecabe brings wine, and Priam pours out a libation to Zeus. Zeus responds by sending an eagle to sweep around the city, proving that the initial message had truly come from Zeus and that Priam is not off on a fool's errand. Priam and his old driver set off across the plain from the city of Troy to the, to the Greek encampment. To assure his safety, Zeus sends Hermes, the god who protects travelers, to protect the two old men. Priam is uncertain of this stranger. After all, the message from Zeus was that he should come alone. I work for Achilles, Hermes said. I'll take you to him. Which he does, putting the sentries to sleep and opening the gates. And it's that latter act that proves to Priam that this stranger is a god. Those gates are too heavy for one man to move. Once Priam is safely through, Hermes admits who he is before returning to Olympus. Priam heads straight for where Achilles has his camp. The Myrmidons are sitting apart from their leader. Only Automedon and Alchemos, who happens to be a son of Ares, sit with Achilles, who has finally listened to his mother and had something to eat. Priam immediately takes the pose of a suppliant, grabbing Achilles by the knee and kissing his hands. The following lines are a reverse simile, so tuck that away for your next AP English exam. Once that literary flourish is complete, Priam beseeches Achilles to give back Hector's body. He speaks of his 50 sons, 19 of which have the same mother, which, ouch, and impressive given maternal, mater, maternal mortality rates back then. Uh, and all of this talk makes Achilles think about his own father, Peleus. Achilles starts crying, and Priam starts crying, and so they're both sitting there crying. And But once Achilles has cried his fill, he raises Priam up and commends the old man for how he has endured the deaths of so many of his sons. Achilles asks him to sit on a chair instead of the floor, but Priam shakes his head. No, he won't sit while Hector lies unattended. He would rather speed back to Troy with the body of his son, and he offers Achilles the ransom. Achilles responds in a way that is simultaneously weird and so totally Achilles. Don't make me mad. I was already going to give him back because my mom, she's a goddess, you know, told me to. And Priam responds as you'd expect. He recoils slightly and does his best not to make Achilles angry. Achilles bounds outside, followed by Onomedon and Alchemos, and they take the old driver under their wing and treat him well while Achilles calls for his maids to wash and anoint Hector's body. He then cries out to Patroclus, apologizing for giving the body back and saying he'll give Patroclus a share of the ransom, even though Patroclus is dead. Achilles then goes back inside and tells Priam that they should eat because even Niobe, whose six daughters and six sons were killed by Artemis and Apollo, remembered to eat as she mourned, and he runs back outside to roast sheep. They eat, they sleep, and in the wee hours of the morning, Hermes wakes Priam and tells him to leave before the rest of the Greeks find out that he's there. After all, the ransom of the king would be worth so much more than the ransom of one of his sons. Hermes accompanies Priam and the old driver as far as the river Xanthos. You remember that one. Dawn rises and all of Troy sleeps, except for one, Cassandra. One of Priam's daughters sees them coming. She cries out to the city, calling the Trojans to look upon Hector one last time. 
Andromache and Hecabe are the first to meet the wagon. Both give very touching eulogies, and then Helen gives a eulogy too. While her place in the city was that of an outsider, Hector always treated her as a sister. She mourns for him as much as his wife and his mother. The whole city mourns. They spend nine days building a pyre and place Hector's body on it on the 10th, another nine and then the 10th. And the book ends with a description of the burial of Hector. And that is the end of the Iliad. And so we'll take a short break here. Oh, Achilles. You really have to worry about his mental health in this book. His mood swings from one extreme to the other. He continues to attempt to desecrate the body of Hector. And I say attempts because, of course, the gods prevent that, but he does what he does anyway um and he seems to think that this is what patroclus wants um and i i find that hard to believe because you know we've seen how gentle patroclus could be so i think that this is clear projection on the part of achilles anyway uh we've seen a lot of the gods interfering with mankind throughout this epic um but zeus refuses to just snatch Hector's body away from Achilles um, and it should be up to Achilles to give the body back so after all of this talk of fate and all of these instances of the gods sweeping someone off the battlefield here suddenly at the end we have an instance of free will now sure Thetis tells him that he should do this but it still is a choice that Achilles must must make um, so again after all of this discussion of fate and inescapable fate and that we can't change it and that the gods just are controlling everything maybe maybe we really do have some sort of free will after all um yeah there is one more thing i do want to mention uh, and that is cassandra she is the first to see priam return do you remember do you remember cassandra uh, we saw her in the Oresteia. Um, she's the one who is cursed to see the future, but have no one believe her. And I'm not sure exactly what it says, that she's the one to see them return. Well, um, except, I actually, no, I do, I do have a reason, maybe. Um, we don't know the names of many of the Trojan women. We know Helen, if we can... can you know, is she a Trojan? Is she Greek? She's somewhere in between. Um, so we know Helen, uh, which for purposes of this discussion, we'll call Trojan. Um, we know Hecabe and Andromache. Yeah, and then we know Cassandra. That's really, those are those are the women who have names. Um, Briseis doesn't count because she's off with the Greeks now, even though she's a uh, captive. Um, so it's, but still... You know, that leaves Cassandra. Cassandra's the only one who's who's left. You know, it's important that Hecabe and Andromache and Helen don't see until later. So that leaves Cassandra as the woman to, to see. Um, but it's interesting that it's this woman because she's largely shunned as like this crazy lady. Um, but she's the one who's calling for the city to see Hector. And they actually listen to her. Um it's a little thing. It's a really little teeny tiny thing, but it still struck me as I as I read it, read the Iliad this time. Um, we're going to take one more short break. 
because we're at the end of the book, so I do want to talk about the Iliad as a whole. So we'll take a break and come back to do that. I hope that you've enjoyed reading the Iliad over the past 24 weeks or listening to me talk about it or both. Both are good. Um, This epic starts by telling us that it's about Achilles. But then Achilles disappears for several books. We are well into the story before Patroclus is killed. And then the whole thing ends with Hector's funeral. It's about Achilles, but it doesn't tell his whole stories. So is it really about Achilles? And if not, who is it about? The title, Iliad, refers to the city of Troy, Ilium, Iliad, Ilium, right? The next epic we're going to read is the Odyssey, which is clearly about Odysseus. It's right there in the title, Odysseus, Odyssey. It's, but So Ilium, Iliad, Iliad is the story of Ilium. It's the story of Troy. It's not the story of, it's not the Achilleid or the Achilleus. <laughs> That's actually his name, Achilleus. Um, Things aren't clear here. The, we, the, the poet sings to the muse to sing in me of the wrath of, of Achilles, the son of Peleus, um, right? But it's, it's not, not clear that necessarily it's really about him. So, so is Achilles really the hero that we're told we should think he is? Um, but the thing that most people today want to talk about regarding the Iliad and this myth is um, the relationship between Patroclus and Achilles. Uh, Madeline Miller wrote an entire book about it, and she's not the first. I read other similar books long before she wrote the Song of Achilles. Um, If you want to know what I think of the Song of Achilles, well, you'll have to wait until I start doing Beth's Book Club or whatever that series winds up being called. Or you can always go to Goodreads and read my review there. Um, They they clearly love each other. I, yes, definitely. Patroclus and Achilles, no matter um, how you interpret their relationship, they love each other very much. But the question frequently asked today is, what does that mean? Were they gay? Were they straight? Were they somewhere in between? And all of this is muddied by the fact that sexuality was treated differently in ancient Greece than it is today. Um, But here's another question. Does it matter? Uh, Yes, of course, representation matters. But no, does it really matter? There's a part of me that thinks it better for them to simply be nothing more than best friends who love each other. Because we live in a world, and they lived in a world that oozed, and we live in one that oozes toxic masculinity. And here we have, possibly, an example of how straight men can love each other and not have it be romantic. Maybe, assuming the answer is no. And it's it's definitely a relationship that you can read how you wish to. And neither answer is wrong. Um, it is clear that they sleep with the women that they have captured. So I don't discount that. Don't, don't take away 
that treatment of women simply for the desire of making them in your mind be gay um that is an unsettling thing of all of these heroes is that they capture they capture these trojan women and they use them um for sex so don't don't discount that simply to make a love story out of the relationship between Patroclus and Achilles. But that doesn't mean that they couldn't also have a romantic relationship with each other. Um, so sure, yeah, maybe they are lovers and they aren't exclusive, um, whatever that relationship is. But that is, I, I know that question's gonna come up is, oh, but, but uh, Patroclus and Achilles, aren't they gay? who knows maybe but don't again don't let that desire intersectionality people don't let that desire just dis- discount the other part of this story that that we diminish because as i noted there are very few women with names we don't we don't see the women they're they're hidden but they're still there in the background and, and appear from time to time right um as always, there is a lot that we can talk about, about book 24 specifically, about the Iliad as a whole, um, about who the heroes really are, about those women, about Helen, um, Paris, Hector. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot. Come Come over to the blog and share your thoughts. The link, as always, is in the show notes. On Monday, we will read Plautus's Miles Gloriosus, um, which I will be working from a translation that uh, calls it um, Major Blowhard. So that gives you an idea, Miles Gloriosus. I'll talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.